take a little bit of time this morning to, uh, to dig into the Gospel of Matthew. I know some of you are going, wow, shocker, we're in Matthew. Yes, we are. We've been here for a while. We're going to keep being here. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to do something a little bit different, though, to start. I think this passage speaks quite a bit into uh, why new community exists. What is the very reason? What, why do we have the vision that we have? What is uh, our calling in the world? And I think this passage uh, honestly speaks into that. And so in light of the fact that a week ago we, uh, I know like eight of you were at the business meeting, it was phenomenal. Um, but at the business meeting, we, we covered a little bit of like the vision and what New Community does and some of uh, what you are doing and what we're doing together. And I, I thought it would be important for us as we look at this text that I think really speaks into what our mission is to kind of remind ourselves a little bit this morning, what, what is our vision at New Community and why is it that we do what we do as a, as a body, all right? So uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to give you a little bit of an update on that, and then we'll go right into the text after it. Uh, here's, here's our vision. Many of you are familiar with it. Uh, it's, our vision is to cultivate an urban-focused, small group-driven community of missionaries that wholeheartedly worships God, unconditionally loves all people, and boldly lives out and extends the gospel of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. What I want to do is just highlight a few of the phrases in there, and then tell you a little bit of how I think we as a community are uh, trying to allow that vision to shape what we're doing. The first phrase I want to highlight is small group driven. You hear it quite a bit around here, but we are a small group driven church. That means we actually believe that everything that we do as a community happens best in small groups. It happens best among a community of people that you know well and can live out what we're called to live out together. And that's just one of the, the core beliefs. It is, in many ways, the way that you can judge whether new community in any way is being successful in the world. Don't judge us by our building. Don't judge us by our money. Don't, we don't look at the metrics of programs or money or any of those things to measure success. For us, you measure success on whether or not groups together are living out the very values that we say we hold that are kingdom values. So in your community, we've set aside seven values that we would say, these are things that we're all called to live in because we all live in the kingdom of God. They're things like being missional and hospitable, having a posture of generosity, being people that are relational. The list goes on that we want to be the kind of people that actually live out in flesh the very things that Jesus lived out. And so we try to do that in the context of groups. We believe that the way we live as the group, the way we live out those values, and then the impact or influence that we have on the community are the things that we want to measure. In fact, people have often said if, if uh, today a new community exists and tomorrow it was gone, would the city feel that? And I would argue if the city doesn't feel a loss because we're not present any longer, then maybe we're not doing what we really say we believe. And so living into that is one of the things that we really strongly believe here. And so 
Uh, for those of you not familiar, we have small groups, and in those small groups, we have leaders, and we work off of a, a network approach to this idea of groups. And so groups have leaders, and those leaders have coaches. There's about eight or nine coaches within our community. Those coaches each have a certain number of leaders underneath them that they support, encourage, love, uh, really help try to shape what those groups look like. And then the group together, that's just a quick picture of what the network looks like. You can take that down. It's just a general idea of everybody within New Community has someone that's caring for them, and then those leaders are caring for everyone in this community. That's the, the dream, is to live into that, to work out of that. And so Kevin, our resident expert in groups, uh, he has been spending a lot of time, especially this year, refocused and renewing our effort toward groups and really talking about how, how are we doing this, are we doing it well, putting a greater emphasis on training up leaders and training coaches to be effective in doing what they're called to do. Uh, I think it's important that I mention this right before we move on to another phrase. That, uh, sometimes I think there's confusion when we think that group is the destination. Okay? Group is not the destination. I mean, our goal in life is not to somehow try to get you into a group and think that once you're in a group, you've reached the pinnacle of Christianity, right? It's, it doesn't work that way, okay? We believe that the ultimate destination is to be a community of missionaries, as our vision says. We believe that the ultimate destination is that we all live as redeemed missionaries within this city. And if we're going to do that, the way that it has to happen in our mind is to do it relationally in a small group context, to care for one another and then to go out into the world, to reach the world, to come back for these gathering times, to be encouraged, trained, equipped, to go out and do it again. And so we try to live into that idea of being small group driven. The second phrase I want to highlight is wholeheartedly worships God. Wholeheartedly worships God. Not only do we want that to happen in group life as we gather, but we also believe Sunday mornings, obviously, are one of those times where we can gather together in a larger context and worship God. Part of our calling at New Community is to make sure that uh, you are encouraged, challenged, and desire more and more all the time to worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as the scriptures teach. That's our desire. And one thing that I think is important for all of us to understand is we don't believe that that happens just in this room. We actually think it happens back in nursery and toddler, and it also happens back in kids' community. I want to take just a moment to highlight those because I think sometimes most of us never walk through those doors. But when we do walk through those doors, you've got a bunch of kids back there who are passionately learning to worship God with all of their heart. I have the privilege of going back there sometimes to teach. And one of the challenges that I've noticed when I've been back there is that you have students that are four years old all the way up to sixth grade in that room. It, it is incredibly challenging for me when I go back there. Maybe every other teacher is phenomenal and can handle this. But I go back and I'm trying to capture the attention and the mind and the heart of a sixth grader and say, this is what the scriptures are teaching. This is how we can live. And at the same time, 
I want the four-year-old to be like engaged. You know, it's impossible. It really is. I, none of us have been able to master it. And so uh, one of the things that we've noticed over the last couple of years is just as we've continued to see um, the population of kids continue to grow. Good job. We're living into that whole be fruitful and multiply part. But as, as that part has continued to grow, we've, uh, we've really sought to figure out how do we uh, come alongside of the families to try to continue to disciple your children. See, one of the things that we believe very strongly is that the family is the primary discipler of children. It is not the church's responsibility. It's the family's responsibility. That's why when we have baby dedication up front, we're not dedicating the child, we're dedicating the whole family. And we're not just saying, hey, good luck. We're saying, hey, we're in this with you, right? That together we are going to be a community that seeks to raise up the children to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And so a couple changes that have been uh, taking place in the back that I thought would be helpful for you to know. One is uh, about a month ago we started a pre-K that will uh, go on every week in the back. They have their own special designated area, and uh, they get dropped off. And uh, they take that whole time to give them a lead teacher and training, and uh, they're learning stories together, and they learn it in small group contexts. It's a beautiful thing that's happening with pre-K. Believe it or not, we have 29 kids just in pre-K alone, and we have another 26 just in toddlers. So it, it, we're continuing to see, like I said, a lot of children in that age category. And so figuring out, okay, how do we help come alongside parents in that age group? And then on the other end of the spectrum, one of the other large groups in children's ministry is fourth through eighth grade, that middle school or tweener age where you're not really in kids' community anymore, even though you are and you're not really in high school yet, and there's this transitionary phase that students go through and so we put together a little parent committee that's going to be wrestling through what does it look like to come alongside the parents when they have students in that age group and really care for the parents and help the students grow into this passionate love of Jesus and so those are a few things that have been happening in the back and Hannah's just been spearheading that and doing a doing a fabulous job the other phrase I want to highlight really quick last one is uh, boldly lives out and extends the gospel. Boldly lives out and extends the gospel. And I think at New Community, we're trying to do that in a couple ways. Uh, I'll just highlight two of them. Uh, the first one being church planting. The second one being uh, missions and outreach. All right, just to give you a few little things about each of those. First of all, um, about a year or two back, uh, New Community affiliated with Christian Associates. For those of you not familiar with Christian Associates, it's a church planning organization that first started in Europe and has expanded its ministry worldwide and has put a renewed focus on church planting in the States. And uh, so we've been partnering with them for the last couple of years and in this friendship status, we've taken that to another level where we're saying, hey, not only are you supporting us, we're also supporting you. And so portion of our overall budget goes to support them and goes toward furthering the cause of church planting worldwide. At the same time, they are working with uh, our leaders. Jeff and Christy are going to be going in May to Colorado, Denver area, and will be uh, taking part in Christian Associates uh, church planting assessment where they uh, work with couples and planters to 
figure out what are the areas that need to continue to improve personally as well as as you think through your uh, church body, what does it look like and how are you really reaching the world around you. And so uh, we're furthering that, continuing to interact with CA. It just so happens that we have a really convenient partnership, seeing that um, those of you that know Rob Fairbanks, uh, he's the founding pastor of New Community, and he just happens to be the president of that organization. And it's, uh, it's just a perfect way for us together to dovetail and really do some uh, interesting things in the area of church planning. Rob's going to be speaking here next week, and um, he's actually going to highlight... Uh, He's been about the last month in Europe, so he's going to highlight what has been happening while he's there and talk to us a little bit about how what we're doing here is intimately tied to what's happening there. Uh, So we get a a global perspective, really. I also wanted to highlight really quick the Coeur d'Alene plant. Um, Things have been moving along very quickly in Coeur d'Alene. It's pretty exciting, so much so that we're actually trying to slow it down. Now, that... That probably to some of you seems like uh, the opposite. Why would you want to slow down something that's moving along really quickly? I I think in um, the American context, a lot of times what happens is churches that are planted get started, get some momentum, and start having Sunday services, and then they think they've arrived. Like that the ultimate destination was a Sunday gathering. And that's not the ultimate destination, right? Right? I mean, we only gather here so we could actually go out and do the ultimate destination, right? This is just something that's supposed to, together, train, equip, encourage, prepare us to go do what we're called to do. So if the ultimate destination is a service, I mean, we could have made that happen probably a long time ago in Coeur d'Alene. That's not the goal. One of the things that Jesus calls us to is to seek the shalom of the city, to actually bring the peace of God to Coeur d'Alene. And so wrestling through, what does it look like for new community to bring the peace of God to Coeur d'Alene in such a way that uh, lives are being changed, people are coming to know Jesus, uh, structures of oppression are being broken down, and and people are being raised up, and that's what we want to see happen. And out of the overflow of that, we actually believe that a church will be planted, and our goal would be about a year from now. So not only are we partnered with this worldwide organization, we're also planting here locally. And then to fill you in, we're also planting in Hawaii right now. Those of you that aren't familiar with that, first of all, you're going, hey, can I join? Like, do you need volunteers to go there and and start serving? But um, I have been coaching with Christian Associates Church Planters for the last couple years. And uh, this one church planting couple that I'm coaching uh, are going to Hawaii. In fact, they just moved there a month ago. Uh, They've settled just outside of Hilo, Hawaii. And uh, the goal is to plant multiple churches in Hilo, but obviously starting with one first. And and that's that's kind of the dream. And the beauty of this whole equation is that um, five years ago, New Community planted a church in Deer Park, Washington. That church has been having an impact in Deer Park One of the couples that have been a part of that church for a long time has grown up in such a way that they felt called to go to Hawaii. If I lived in Deer Park, I'd probably feel called to to go elsewhere too. But still, we believe the call. We we sense it. Um, But they've been raised up, and they feel like God is calling them to Hawaii. And so they just left, like I said, 
And so when they plant a church, Lord willing, when everything comes together, we'll actually have a granddaughter. So we'll have a church that we planted, we'll have officially planted another church. And so when you think that God has worked and moved in our community to plant five churches over the last eight years, with another one we hope locally a year from now, as well as Hawaii, our dream is to continue to see uh, churches planted and people uh, come to know Jesus in, in this area and beyond. And um, so we're, we're just really excited about that. And the last little piece is this mission outreach piece that I think is important for us to consider. We believe, honestly, that we're to boldly extend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to be the kind of place that puts our money where our mouth is, right? You can tell very quickly what people value in their life by looking at their bank account or by looking what they spend money on. And so a new community over the last several years has tried strategically to give more money away for that cause than ever before. I mean, there's more money allocated toward uh, missions, outreach, church planning, church multiplication, leadership development than there ever has been in the time that I've been here. That there's, there's, I've never been a part of a community, honestly, that's been more committed to the goal of actually giving money away so that the kingdom is furthered. And I think it's important for, for all of us to know that because we're going to, and I think this is a strong conviction of all of the others, that we're going to always put money into people before programs, always put money into people before buildings. That, that has to be uh, a priority of ours. And so uh, some of you saw Jay up here last week. Jay was talking and sharing about mercy ships and what he's been doing over in Africa. If you are giving to new community, you have to understand you're supporting Jay on a monthly basis to be in Africa and extending the gospel. If you, uh, you just saw Brent and Amy get up and share, if you are giving to new community, you're also supporting Brent and Amy and Global Neighborhood. There's a conviction of ours to continue to pour resources into refugee care in this city. Uh, Tom Davis was here first service that monthly we're giving money to support Youth for Christ Spokane. And, uh, Caleb and Jenna, who were a part of this church for a long time, became interns, went to YFC in Indiana. We're supporting other people working with at-risk youth in town, with uh, homeless ministry in town. We're supporting uh, church planters, this couple to Hawaii. We're supporting them monthly. Tommy and Allie Brown just landed in Kenya, and we're supporting them. And the list goes on and on. You can check out the website and just see the multiple ways that we're trying to live into this value of saying, God, we want to be about your mission and your call. And uh, we want to do that not just with our actions, but with, with our money, with our words, and with our pocketbooks. And so this is just a little picture of what you would have uh, caught if you were at that business meeting. I'm not guilting you into going. But um, just there, there's some exciting stuff that I'm really excited about, really excited about. And uh, the reason I share it with you this morning is because I think it directly ties to our passage. We're in Matthew 9. If you have your Bible, you can look down at verses 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. I'll read it, and then what I want to do is just kind of look at what I would say are three implications for our community and its vision or calling based on what this text is saying. 
Matthew 9, verse 35 says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had, great, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want to, like I said, look at three implications that I think are clear in this text as to why we're supposed to live out the mission that we've been given. And the first one is a, a little obscure. The first implication, the first idea is work. We have to work for the mission. And there, it's obscure because it's found in a passage that I think many of us overlook. If you were to read through the whole chapter, you would probably come to verse 35, just glance right past it. It says some basic kind of just commentary is often how we would look at that particular verse. But I think this verse is actually filled with some amazing information about the ministry and work of Jesus Christ. I want to read it again just so we don't miss the significance of it. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, the portion of the world in which this passage is describing is the region of Galilee. For those of you not familiar with it, here's a handy-dandy map. Okay. Now, can anyone tell me anything about the region of Galilee in terms of its like climate or terrain? What do you guys know about this particular region of the world? Any guesses? Good. Arid, dry, hot. What about terrain? Hilly, rocky. At the time of Jesus, it would have been just not a lot of great paths to be on, not a lot of accessibility to roads. It would have been very hot and arid and dry. And I mean, it, it's that's the kind of temperature we're talking about, the kind of climate we're talking about the kind of situation that Jesus was in. And what's interesting is, it says that Jesus went throughout the region. Now this region, that area of Galilee, was 70 miles by 40 miles. Now to give you a little context, that's 1,128 square feet. Now, some of you go, eh, who cares? Spokane is 58.5 square miles. Right? 58.5 square miles. And I think I probably said feet. Did I say feet? Because some of you are looking at me like, wow. Spokane's huge. It's actually the other way around. Spokane, 58.5 square miles. 1,128 square miles is the region of Galilee. Now, Jesus, it says, went throughout all of the region going from every city, town, village. That means that Jesus, in his tunic, Jesus in his sandals, right? Jesus in his Jesus outfit, <laughs> walked throughout the whole region. Up hills, down hills, hot, arid, dry, worn out, 
going from place to place to place. And he doesn't just say that he walked to all of them, but that he actually did stuff while he was there. So he walks the whole way. He gets there. He gets in the synagogues. He preaches all day. He heals people. He has significant conversations. He touches people. Their lives are changed. He's going from person to person to person. Crowds are following. I mean, all of this is happening in a 70 by 40 mile section. Now, Josephus added another layer to it for me that I thought was interesting. Josephus said this. He said that while Jesus was on the move, while he was going from place to place, while he was seeing and greeting and healing all of these people, he said that during that time of Jesus, there would have been recorded 204 204 towns and villages. He did this from city to town to city to village to all 200, the text says, to every single town and village in the region. 240, or 204, excuse me, 204 in the whole region. I mean, I think a couple of things stand out to me from that. One, Jesus was on the move. He was constantly on the move. He understood that his mission required movement. We also, if we are following in the same vein as Jesus, must understand that we are then called to be people on the move. People willing to go to great lengths to see the gospel extended. People who are willing to go from town to town and village to village, people to people, to see the truth proclaimed. Now, Josephus also said that there was, and the the historians kind of go back and forth a little bit, but in those 204 villages, there would have been somewhere between 1 and 3 million people. So Jesus, in the course of no more than three years, some would argue that Matthew, a lot of the teaching and everything happened over the course of about a year, year and a half. That in that range of time, Jesus went to 204 villages, saw over a million people, in a hot, dry climate while he walked everywhere. He didn't get on his mountain bike, didn't get in his car with AC, didn't, you know, ride the train, take the bus, nothing. He walked from place to place. What does this tell us about Jesus? I think for me, one of the things it tells me is that he worked his butt off for the mission, right? I mean, he was willing to, to go to great heights. He was willing to pour great effort Just think about the amount of time, the amount of energy it would have taken for him to do what was described in this verse that we so easily glance over. He poured great effort and work into the cause. The second one I want to highlight is found in uh, the verse 37 and 38. You can look there. It says this. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, what Jesus does is he describes a a glaring gap, a big problem. He said that there's a huge need and hardly any workers, or the harvest is large or huge, but the workers are few. There's hardly any. So he's creating this problem. 
He's showing us this huge need. And what's interesting is Jesus' response. Now, if, if you were to come into the American church today and you were to say, hey, we've got a big problem. There's a huge need and there's not enough workers. We, we, we need to change this. We need to figure it out. The answer would be, okay, well, let's come up with a strategy. Let's figure out what committee we could form that's going to start processing the ways in which we could recruit more volunteers. We need to train up leaders and have those leaders train other leaders. We could come up with a 10-year strategic initiative, a plan that would further the development of leaders, right? I mean, that's what we would talk about. But Jesus says a very simple and yet complex answer. He says, pray. Here's a huge need. Here's a big problem. What's the answer? Pray about it. He very clearly says, prayer. Where there is prayer, there is mission. You could also argue where there is little prayer, there's little mission. Alan Redpath said it this way, We will only advance in our evangelistic work as fast and as far as we advance on our knees. Prayer opens the channel between a soul and God. Prayerlessness closes it. Prayer releases the grip of Satan's power. Prayerlessness increases it. That is why prayer is so exhausting and so vital. Jesus says to pray. We're told in this text to be specific in our prayer. It says we're to pray for workers. Pray for workers. I find it interesting that he didn't say pray for leaders. He didn't say, hey, we need more highly skilled spiritual entrepreneurs. No. He said we just need workers. We need laborers. We need people who will be faithful and do the work. It's interesting, if you keep looking at the text, he doesn't say, hey, I need help with planting. Hey, I need help with figuring out how to declare this. I need help with preparing the harvest. No. The field's ripe. Everything's ready. He's saying, everything's done. I've done it all. It's ready for you. All you have to do is just go out and be faithful to collect it. You don't have to be skilled. You don't have to be the person who's got it all figured out. No. He's saying, just be the worker. Just go out and collect what I've already done. It's my, it's my work. It's my kingdom. It's my harvest. I just need people to go out and collect it. He says that we're to pray for them to be sent out. Pray for laborers to be sent out. Now, literally in the Greek, it would mean to be thrust out or to be cast out. Here's my opinion. The reason I think this word is used the way that it is is because we don't have a lack of laborers. Even though the text says we have a lack of laborers, we don't have a lack of bodies. If you look at the church worldwide, you look at the church in America, right? We've got plenty of laborers who are sitting on Sundays in services, who are singing songs, who are a part of the community of faith. 
that Jesus, I think, is telling us to pray that they be thrust out. Pray that we go, get out there in the action. Right? He, he's saying the harvest is ready. Everything is as it should be. We need to get out and actually do something about bringing it in. So get out there. That's what he's telling us to pray for. Don't just pray for the laborers. Pray that God would thrust them out. Pray that God would cast them out of the room and get them out into the world. Now, that's a beautiful picture of what he's calling us to. And he says our job in it is to pray. Are we being the kind of community that is committed to this mission through prayer? Wrestle with that this week in groups. Talk about it. Are we actually praying for workers to be thrust out? Are we praying for the mission? Are we praying for that harvest? The third implication for us is love. If you look at verse 36, it says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus gives us the motivation for mission. He says, you want to know why we're supposed to work really hard for this? You know why we're supposed to pray that people will be thrust out? It's as simple as compassion. It's just deep, deep love. Why is there a mission that we are a part of? Because simply, Jesus had a deep compassion for people. He has a deep love for us. His mission, our mission, is motivated by this love, as the text says, for the harassed and helpless. It literally means the mangled and cast down. Maybe a better current rendering would be barely making it. It says that Jesus looked on those who were barely making it and felt compassion. I know that I qualify quite easily for the barely making it description. I think humanity as a whole qualifies for the barely making it condition. And he comes and he says, listen, I have deep love for you. I have compassion for you. And it's that love that the scriptures say is what motivates us for mission. Paul said it this way, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. See, Christ's love compels us. We, we're not guilted into it. Our arms not twisted into it. We're not intellectualized into it. We're compelled by love. It is this force that motivates us, challenges us, equips us, energizes us. I think really it it, it pressures us. It requires stuff of us. It empowers us. It, it's constantly being that motivator to say, man, because of God's great, amazing love for me, I turn that around and I am compelled to go and share that same love with others. 
It's His overwhelming love and grace that we remember on a weekly basis here at New Community where we say because of His love to send His Son to sacrifice His life, that the guilt is removed and I am compelled by love to remember that His body was broken, His blood was shed, and compelled to actually go out and do what this text talks about, which is to work for the mission. Are we as a community working for that? To pray for this to to go forth, to see people sent out for that same mission, and then are we compelled to do all of that because of His generous and extravagant love for us? Let's pray. God, we pray that as we're in groups this week that we would wrestle with some of these questions. Questions of whether we are actually working for the cause, whether we're living into what you've called us to, and whether we're praying for ourselves as well as for others to be thrust out, to be sent out. God, we're all called. We've all been given the mission. We as a community want to live into it deeply. Help us not to just live into it with our words, but actually live into it with our actions. Help us not to be dreaming up dreams that are not your dreams, but may we just walk in line with you. May we follow your leadership. And may you continue to do in us and through us more than we could ask or imagine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.